I want to congratulate you because I cannot think of a better place to be on the first Sunday of a brand new year than to be in the house of God. And so uh, you started the first Sunday the best way you could start the first Sunday. You should just give yourself a round of applause right now. You're in church on the first Sunday of a new year. We got any, uh, any New Year's resolution people in the room? Come on. Nobody made any goals in the room? No New Year's resolution people? I'm a big New Year's resolution guy, uh, but at Way Church, we actually don't have a New Year's resolution. We have a New Year's promise. Oh, come on. That's good. Like, I, you should just be getting fired up right now. I'm about to give you a, a money-back guarantee right here. We got a New Year's promise. Here's the promise. If you commit to gathering with us consistently in 2024 on Sunday mornings, and you commit to reading this book every single day in 2024, this is going to be the best year of your life. That's a promise. That's a promise. I, I believe this will be the best year of your life if those two things happen. Here's why. Because nothing about your circumstance might change in 2024, but if you spend time in this book with God every single day, you might change in 2024. I don't know about you, but oftentimes the thing that, that needs to change most in my life is me. And in 2024, I'm committing to reading this book, to gathering with God's people, and I'm believing that in 2024, it is going to be the best year of my life, no matter if I get the raise, no matter if the things work out the way I want them to in 2024, because what I can control is my time with God and my time in his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Money back guarantee. Try it. If not, we'll pay you back what we gave you. It was a free thing, though, so... Uh, <laughs> Can't wait. We are jumping in to a brand new series at Way Church, and uh, I'm so fired up about it. Uh, if you haven't heard, we are going to start today in the book of James. If you want to go ahead and turn to James chapter 1, we are in a new series called From Talk to Walk. And this series, we're literally going to go through every single verse in the book of James, verse by verse. Why do you do that? Why, what's the point of doing that? The point of doing that is we believe that this is a year where we are going to grow in our Bible knowledge. And I think anytime you read the Bible, you're going to grow in your Bible knowledge. But specifically, when you stay in an entire chapter, an entire book uh, of the Bible, you actually get the full context of what God is saying, who God is saying it to. And so we want to camp out in the book of James going verse by verse. And uh, the book of James covers a bunch of different topics. I mean, we are going all over the map in the book of James, but there's this common thread throughout the book of James that ties everything together, and it's that James is urging people to go from talking about it to being about it. He's urging people to, to go, don't just sing about Jesus, live for Jesus. He's saying, don't just talk about Jesus on social media. He's saying, walk with Jesus Monday through Sunday. He's saying, don't just talk about the kingdom of God walk in the kingdom of God. And so this is what we're going to look at. Every week, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of tie back to that theme, but every single week, there's, there's going to be new things that James uh, brings to our attention, and I'm really, really pumped about it because there's all these statistics that are out there uh, that have come out in the last couple of years on Bible literacy. Uh, one of the most shocking ones to me is that about 9% of people in the United States who profess Jesus as Lord uh, read their Bible on a daily basis. 
Only 9% of Christians read their Bible on a daily basis. And so if you're one of those people and, and you don't read your Bible, there's no shame for you here. I just want to encourage you, let's just change it in 2024. Could you imagine what would happen if 300, 350 people in Nashville, Tennessee just committed, this is a year, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Maybe on the surface, it's like, okay, that would be cool. No, it would be way more than cool. It would lead to revival. It would lead to people looking at us and going, man, they're, just, they're not just talking about it. They're walking it out. They're not just saying that they love Jesus. I see that they love Jesus. I see change inside of them. I see something forming inside of them that I want for my life. The book of James, uh, I timed myself this week. I read it, started a stopwatch just because I wanted to be able to give you this information right here in this moment. It took me 13 minutes and 27 seconds to read the book of James. And I'm not a fast reader. So, no excuses. You can read the whole book of James. I think it would be cool if you did it once a week while we're in this series. We're going to be in this series from this week all the way until the week before Easter. Come on, isn't that exciting? It would be exciting to you if you understood what happens when we open up the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet. The word of God is the truth that helps us overcome the lies in our life. If there are things in your life that you're struggling with regularly, if there are things like hidden sin, hidden mistakes, hidden, hidden stuff in your life, the thing that's going to help you overcome those is not more Netflix. It's not self-help books. It is the truth of God's word that is going to lead to freedom in your life. And so 2024 could be a year of freedom in your life. That's what I believe. Amazing. All right, James chapter 1. If you're there, say there. Does anybody uh, know who the author of the book of James is? If you do, just yell it out loud. One, two, three. James. James. Survey says James. Come on, any family feud people in the room? I love Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey's going to come to Way Church one day. I believe it. It's going to be amazing. Um, James is the author of the book of James. Not a trick question. Uh, we know a lot about James. James was actually the half-brother of Jesus. They shared a biological mom, uh, a lady you're probably familiar with. Her name is Mary. And uh, they had the same mom. They did not have the same biological dad. James' biological dad was Joseph. Uh, but Jesus was miraculously conceived through a birth between the Holy Spirit and a virgin named Mary. So they had the same earthly dad, but uh, Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. All of that to say... They grew up in the same house. They grew up at the same dinner table. They might have shared a bathroom. We don't know. Uh, but they were brothers. That is who is writing the book of James. It's the brother of Jesus. One of the most interesting things to me is um, thinking about the relationship dynamic that it must have uh, had being the brother of Jesus. I think this would be very difficult. It would be amazing, but I also think it would be the worst. Think about you're like six, seven years old, and, uh, you know, James is like, Mom, Jesus won't share the toys with me. And Mary's like, you're lying, James. <laughs> How do you know you're not even in the living room? Because your brother's God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this would be brutal. Okay, we just have to think about that. Um, one of the most interesting things about James is that he actually lived for 33 years believing that Jesus was not God. 
He actually, in John chapter 7, there's a really awesome story. We don't have time to read it this morning. You should go check it out if you want to make, make notes. John chapter 7, Jesus is doing ministry, and his siblings show up not to receive or support, receive from him or support him. They actually show up to make fun of him. Because, again, this is what happens when the guy you share a bathroom with starts telling people he's God. You're like, whoa, I don't know. I don't know. One of the most interesting things is he didn't believe in Jesus, but then he does. This is what happens. He goes from being an unbeliever, from being someone who's making fun of Jesus, to he actually becomes the person who writes the book of James, which was originally a letter. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But he also becomes one of the four leaders of the early church. Christianity started with Jesus and 12 disciples. Then it grew to a room of a couple hundred people like this room today. And then it grew to hundreds of thousands and millions and tens of millions. And one of the biggest pieces of that growth, the exponential growth of Christianity, was actually James. There were four leaders in the early church. There was the Apostle Paul, who's responsible for writing most of the New Testament that you and I read on a regular basis. Then there was Peter and John, the two closest disciples of Jesus. And then the fourth person that was spreading the gospel, that was preaching, that was healing people, that was raising up disciples, was the brother of Jesus, James. So what happens... How do you go from being an unbeliever making fun of your brother being God to being the one that is literally leading the early church following your brother as God? Are you ready for this? What card did Jesus play? He resurrected from the dead. You want to know how to convince your siblings that you're God? Die. Stay that way for three days and then come back and eat some fish for breakfast with him. That'll do it. Okay, the resurrection changed everything for James. He begins all in, I mean, chips all the way to the, the middle of the table. In fact, this is what we know about James as well. In the year 62 AD, James was responsible for literally hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ. So many people are coming to Christ that it's starting to upset the government, the government drags him to the top of the temple. They tell him, you have to renounce your faith in Jesus or we're going to kill you. James refuses. He starts praising God on top of the temple. They throw him off the temple trying to kill him, but it doesn't kill him. He lands on the ground, his body is broken, and he begins to scream out prayers for the people that threw him off the temple. They come down, they give him one more chance. They say, this is the last chance to renounce your faith in Christ. He begins praying for their salvation and they stoned him to death. This is the man that wrote the book of James. One of the greatest proofs, in my opinion, of Jesus as Lord is that his brother, his actual brother, believed that it was true so much to the point of death. I got a great sister. Not one time have I ever thought she was God. <laughs> this is the guy who's writing it. So who's writing the book of James? Okay, now the next question is, who is he writing it to? These are the two questions that we should always start reading the Bible with. Who is writing this? Who are they writing it to? Um, now, I think a lot of times... You know, this is a good intention. What we do is we open up the Bible, and the first question that we ask is, what is God saying to me? How do I apply this? I want to encourage you to not do that. I actually think that that is a really bad habit to start and will actually affect the way that you approach God's word in a really negative way. Because when you open up the Bible and think that it's all about 
you, you actually miss the reality that it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. So I would say just a a thing to maybe take and, and try for yourself is let's start by asking, okay, who wrote it? Who'd they write it to? What was the point? Where is Jesus in this passage of scripture? And then maybe like number five, number six, number seven is how does this apply to me? What is, what is God saying to me? Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, who was James written for? James was written for the early church who begins to follow Jesus, uh, and, and they start following Jesus, Christianity starts spreading, and then all of a sudden the government is like, we don't like this, we can't control these crazy Christians, we need to kill them. If they, and they start persecuting Christians. And so James uh, gets, he didn't have social media or, or anything to like blast out this, so, uh, this message. So he writes a letter that gets dispersed and copied to people around the world who are following Jesus. And he writes this letter that we now call the book of James as an encouragement to believers who are being persecuted. That is the context for what we're about to read. It is persecuted Christians who are on the run for their faith. It was not written to us, but the Bible was written for us. And so when we read the book of James, I don't know anybody um, personally who's being persecuted in Nashville, Tennessee for their faith. Uh, You know, uh, maybe you're here and uh, your aunt comments some rude things on your Instagram post. Uh, That's not persecution. That's just annoying. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't know too many people who are being persecuted for for their faith, uh, but I do know a lot of people who need to be encouraged to keep running the race that God has set before them, who need to be encouraged when they're feeling discouragement, when they're going through pain. And so we're reading this knowing that the context is to persecuted Christians, but we're also going to read this going, okay, it wasn't written to me, but there might be something for me in this passage of scripture. Everybody good? If you're there, say there. Okay, amazing. Amazing. Here we go. Uh, James chapter 1. Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Guys, I don't know if I'm just like, I'm a pastor and so I get excited about weird stuff like this, but I got one verse into the book of James and I was like, I think I could preach a whole message on that little intro right there. I mean, it took everything in me to just give, give you one paragraph of notes uh, instead of like four pages of notes. Because this to me, the way he starts this letter, James, a servant of God, this is like the best lesson ever. We're talking about the guy who was brothers with Jesus, one of the four leaders of the entire global church. And he doesn't start his letter by telling you any of that. He starts his letter by saying, I'm James and I'm a servant. I'm James, and I'm here to serve. He doesn't start by boasting in his talents. He doesn't start boasting in his title. He doesn't start boasting even in his own ministry. He doesn't start boasting in his wealth or his accomplishments. He says, I'm James, and I'm boasting in my servanthood to Jesus. I'm reminded this morning that if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. That if serving is beneath you, God using you is beyond you. That if you aren't approaching your walk with Jesus as I am here to serve, you're going to veer off track very, very quickly. We live in a world that says grow, become more, and lead. But we follow a man who said give it away, become less, and serve. 
Can you imagine how many problems in the capital C church would be immediately resolved if every follower of Jesus lived through the identity and and focused their life as a servant? Man, I refuse to be offended by that. I'm here to serve. God, I don't care who gets the credit. I'm here to serve. God, God, I don't care what they're doing or what they're doing over here because my focus is to serve. I want to be like Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 28, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, be served, but to serve. If you want 2024 to be the best year of your life, read this book and serve other people. That's it. That's the formula. If you want 2024 to be a year where you grow closer to God unlike any other year of your life, Read the Bible every day and stop focusing on yourself. That's it. That's it. That's how James wants to start this letter. Uh, Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, everybody say whenever, Whenever. you face trials of many kinds. Notice, James says whenever, not if you face trials, not you might face trials. He says whenever you face trials, which is implying that you are going to face trials. Notice also. He didn't say trial. There was not just an L with a period. There was an S, meaning multiple trials. Wow, Pastor Noah, I thought you said this was an encouragement. This is an encouragement. This is a real encouragement. There are fake encouragements and there are real encouragements. A fake encouragement is when someone tells you what you want to hear. It feels good for a moment, but it lives horribly. A real encouragement is someone telling you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. James is trying to help believers out, not hype them up. So James is saying, you are going to face trials. You can't control it. But you can control your response to trials. One of my favorite ways to to say this, it's just been easy for me to remember, is I can't control my season, but I can control my spirit. I can't control my season, but I can control my spirit. How how can you say that? You can say that because of what he says in verse 3. Because, because. Side note, anytime you see the word because in the Bible, you should just circle it, underline it, because whatever is coming after that is going to clarify what was said before it. So he says, you can have joy in trials. Now we're about to learn why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You can't control your season but you can control your spirit because even in trials, God is giving you perseverance. And as a follower of Jesus, when when you hear the word perseverance, your ears should perk up because you desperately need perseverance as a follower of Jesus. Um, For the last six years, it's a little embarrassing, but for the last six years, I've had the same New Year's resolution, same one. Uh, It's been, this is the year I'm gonna get ripped. That's been my New Year's resolution. I'm like, I'm going to get shredded. Like I picture, for whatever reason, I picture Zac Efron in um, High School Musical. You know, like, like ripped enough to look good, but also like a hooper. You know, like that's me. That's what, that's what I want. At the beginning of every year, I'm like, I'm going to get ripped like Zac Efron. And for the first couple weeks of every year, I'm, I'm doing it. I mean, I'm waking up at the crack of dawn. I'm eating grass. I'm getting my head in the game. You know what I mean? Come on, that was funny. That was a high school musical reference. I don't know if you guys are like acting like you didn't watch it. It was a great movie. The first one was a great movie. I- I'm doing it. And then what happens is like it gets to the end of January, and um, I'm back at Chick-fil-A. It gets to the end of January, and it's cold in Nashville. 
I don't want to get out of bed. It gets to the end of January, and the Krispy Kreme hot sign's on, and I'm just human. So I stop. And by about mid-February, my New Year's resolution has gone into a full-blown retirement. Because starting things is easy, but finishing things is hard. Here's the thing. On this earth, we applaud people who start things. I mean, think about the biggest companies in the world. They get the title founder of Apple, founder of Tesla. We, we applaud people who start things on social media. I, I'm just telling you, like, like one of the quickest ways to get love on social media is just start something new. Just start something new and post about it. Everyone gets so excited about it. We clap for that. But you want to know what people clap for in heaven? You want to know what God claps for in heaven? Not people who start things, but people who finish things. God is not looking for people who simply start. God is looking for people who finish. And the one thing that you need more than any other thing when you are running the race that God has set before you is perseverance to finish. I think about the words of Paul. He didn't say, I have, I have fought the good fight. I started the race. He said, no, 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 no. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race because finishing is the goal as followers of Jesus. I wonder what would happen if a group of believers said, you know what? 2024 is going to be a year I don't just start well. I'm going to finish well. I'm going to finish 2024 in the same marriage that I started 2024 in. I'm going to finish 2024 serving the Lord the same way I started. 2024 serving the Lord. I'm going to finish 2024 more in love with Jesus than the way I started 2024 because I'm not trying to start. I'm trying to finish. Come on, that's a good place to say amen right there if you want to be a finisher. I'm trying to finish the race and I've got to have perseverance to finish. If your main goal is to finish the race in love with Jesus, by, by the race, I'm talking about your life, to finish your life in love with Jesus, then you can find joy in trials because God is giving you the perseverance that you need to keep running. That's what James is saying. Okay, back to my fitness journey. Just one more second. I'm sorry. I know it's annoying. I feel like I, feel like I just have to say this. Uh, I know 2024 is the year that I'm going to look like Troy Bolton because never have I ever had this public accountability with like a church that I'm pastoring. So now it's out there. It's like, you know, you guys can check in on me. Um, the other thing is I've never preached through James, and so I feel personally convicted right now uh, to, to start. But a couple, couple weeks ago, I started early. I started before January, and um, this, is, this is what I've been doing. I've been, I've been lifting weights two days a week, and then the next three days, I'm either running or I'm cycling. That's what, that's what I'm doing. I'm like super in on riding a bicycle and running. And um, I'm, I'm going for a run today after church, by the way. Keep me accountable. I'm going to post about it on Instagram so you see it. Um, <laughs> I'm going for a run, and this is what happens. Like, the first mile, I am feeling amazing. I just got some new running shoes. I'm just going to tell you, everybody who sees me running, they're going to be blessed today because those shoes look clean. They look amazing. I, I love running the first mile, the, the second mile. I mean, I love it. It's, it's amazing. I feel great. I got the endorphins pumping. But about mile four or mile five, I start thinking about all the things I would rather be doing besides running. The other day I was running, and I was like, man, you know what? I think I'd rather eat a ghost pepper <laughs> than finish this run. I would rather willingly sit at the DMV than finish this run. Because what I need in that moment to finish is perseverance. What is perseverance? It's the continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failures, opposition, or 
pain. 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 One of the things that I know to be true is that people actually don't hate pain. People hate pain that has no purpose. That's what people hate. People will actually pay money for pain. If you don't believe me, people pay money to run marathons. Do you know that? They do that. They pay for pain. One of the things I learned a couple years ago is that you actually have to pay to have a kid in the hospital. All you people who don't have kids yet, you just got super nervous. You better start saving right now. I'm telling you what, we got that hospital bill. I about fell out. And the spirit wasn't even moving. It was another spirit that was moving. And it was not the Holy Spirit that was moving. I didn't realize you had to pay to have a kid. My, my wife, she willingly went through the pain of having two kids. Why? She, she did it excited with joy because that pain had a purpose. One of the devil's cleverest tricks is to tell us when we're going through pain that it has no purpose. That when we're going through a trial, God's not with us. God's not in it. God doesn't care. God's abandoned us. And it is, it is such a lie from the enemy. This is what happens when we go through trials. When you go through a trial, there is not another place that is better for you to be formed into the image of Christ than in a trial. Here's why. Because when you're in a trial, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through pain, you can't rely on you anymore to keep running. You have to rely on somebody else. The times of trial in my life have also simultaneously been the times of the greatest growth in my walk with Jesus. The pain in your life, some of you, you have lots of pain in your life. 2023 was not a good year. The pain in your life is serving a purpose. God is perfecting the who God cares so much more about who you're becoming than what you're doing or even what you're going through. Why? Because who you're becoming is going with you into eternity. What you're doing today, probably not. But who you're becoming, it's going with you into eternity. And the pain that you're experiencing, I'm not trying to minimize it, but, but it has purpose. It has purpose. I think about 2020. Uh, my wife and I, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, um, beginning of 2020. We took a leap of faith. We felt like God told us, move to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Noah, you take a leap of faith to start traveling full-time and, and preaching the gospel, which I, I realize, like, most of you are not pastors in this room, which is why you're going to this church and not leading your own church. But basically, that line of work is very uh, just... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's nerve-wracking um, if you're going to be a full-time traveling preacher because like, a church will invite you. They don't tell you if they're going to pay you or what they're going to pay you most of the time. And, and then you like, would go and I'll like, preach and this is my full-time income and like, one church might give me enough to pay for my family that week and then the next church might give me two pieces of Domino's pizza and it's like, thanks for coming. You know what I mean? But we took this leap of faith and we were like, we feel like God's going to provide and all these churches have reached out. We moved to it. Atlanta. Two weeks after we move, COVID hits. And every single speaking engagement gets canceled. The next week, my wife loses her job because the company she's working for no longer could pay for their employees. And so we go from two incomes to no income. And for six months, literally every single month, we're like, how, why God? 
Like, I remember the first walk I took after COVID. My poor dog, I'm just going to tell you right now, I was like dragging that dog. I was so angry. I was like, like venting out loud to the Lord. I was like, we just took the biggest leap of faith ever, and we know you told us to do it. I'm just venting at God. I'm yelling at God. I'm, I'm, we're thinking about starting a family at that time. I'm like, why would you do this? And month after month, for six months straight, God provided. God would put, put us on somebody's heart that we barely knew, and we'd get a random check in the mail that would pay for groceries. I remember one time we had this guy at our new church in Atlanta, Georgia. We were, we were doing online church, and one of the guys, that one of the, like the 10 people that were showing up to church in April of 2020, he said God told him to write us a check, wrote us a check that covered our mortgage or our rent payment for the entire month. This is what that trial did in my life. It allowed me to know God as my provider. And I never would have known God as my provider if I didn't need him to provide in my trial. Some of you in this room, you know God as a healer. Why? Because you had to be in a season where you needed healing. Others of you in this room, you know God as a comforter because you had to walk through a season where God had to comfort you. Many of us in this room, we know God as our savior because we came to the realization that we needed saving. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is if you are walking through pain, if you feel like your life is at rock bottom, we serve a God who will be your rock at the bottom. Your trial is not pointless. Your pain is not pointless. He has not forsaken you. When we suffer and we suffer with our eyes fixed on God, we suffer with our eyes fixed towards heaven, we are never more like Jesus than in the midst of our suffering as we continue to persevere. Think about Jesus. He, the Bible says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. The same Greek word used there is the same Greek word used for perseverance. Jesus persevered when he looked at the cross. Why? Because he was fixing his eyes on, the on God, on his heavenly father, and thinking about you and me and how he was coming and fulfilling the mission that he had came for. We can persevere by reminding ourselves that our pain has a point. Okay, next verse. This is what it says, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to use your knowledge, experiences, discernment to make decisions. And the thing that you need most when you're going through a trial, besides the presence of God and God's word, the thing you need the most is wisdom. Because without wisdom, you might leave the trial less like Jesus than you started the trial. You need, you need wisdom. And uh, the good thing about wisdom, if you're like me and you lack wisdom and you need more wisdom, uh, the good thing is you can find wisdom in a lot of different places. I'd say the first place you can find wisdom is, is your Bible. Uh, a habit that you might want to start in 2024 is there's a book in the Bible called Proverbs. Probably heard of it before. Uh, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Something I've been doing for about four years now is whatever day of the month it is, I will read that chapter out of the book of Proverbs. So today, January 7th, you could turn to Proverbs chapter 7 and read it. It might take you 60 seconds. And the book of Proverbs was written by one of the wisest men that have ever walked the earth, a man named King Solomon, who was literally known for his wisdom. So if you want to grow in wisdom, read this book. Specifically, you could read the book of Proverbs. Second place you could find wisdom is in godly community. Our second value here at Way Church is, uh, first one is we follow Jesus in a committed community. We made that our value not because it was the coolest option. In fact, there were lots of options that sounded cooler than committed community. Uh, we made that our value because 
It, it, not because it sounds good, but because it lives well. And, and we actually believe that as a follower of Jesus, you cannot follow Jesus alone. And a lot of people, they hear that and they're like, oh yeah, you can't follow Jesus alone. But they have no godly community outside of their family. I want to urge you, you need godly community that's not just your family. You've got to follow Jesus together. When that happens and you face a trial, you don't have to just rely on your own experiences and your own wisdom. You actually get to lean on brothers and sisters in Christ who have their own experiences and their own wisdom to, to lend you. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. One of the reasons we keep preaching, join a way group. Join a way group. Join a way group. Not because we get some reward points on Amazon for a certain amount of people joining a way group. No, it's because we want you to experience the fruit and the benefit of being in godly community with other people. It sharpens you. It gives you the wisdom that you need to persevere and to keep running. And number three, you can ask God for wisdom. This is the easiest and probably the best place you should start. This is what James is saying. He's saying, ask God for wisdom. The message says it this way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to God and ask him for help. He loves to help. I love that. God loves to help. Ask God for wisdom. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Say, don't doubt. One more time, because there's three of us. Don't doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James is saying there's a difference between praying about it and worrying about it. Come on, let's just be honest. Like, how many times are we like, yeah, I've been praying about it. You know good and well you ain't prayed about it one time. You've just been driving around worrying about it, listening to Taylor Swift. I mean, like, let's just be honest. A lot of times our first response is not to pray about it. It's to worry about it. And maybe instead of worrying about it, we'll vent about it. Listen, venting to other people is not helpful. Sharing with other people because you want prayer that's very helpful. Venting to other people is not helpful. What would be much more helpful is instead of venting to others, vent to God. If you read the book of Psalms, it is filled with a man named David venting to God. That dude could vent. But eventually what happens when you read the book of Psalms, you'll see he goes from venting to God to asking God. This is why I want to encourage you. If you're in a bad season right now, start by venting to God. And over time, your venting will turn to asking. And when you ask God, just like we just read, you can expect to receive from God. Something we need to remind ourselves in 2024 when we're praying to the Lord and we're asking him for things is he is a God who loves to generously pour gifts on his sons and daughters. He is also a God who is not retired from doing miracles. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that split the sea is the same God that's going with you into work. The same God that literally raised a man from the dead named Lazarus is the same God that's walking with you into that doctor's appointment. It's the same God. And so when we're asking him to do things, we should ask with faith. Man, I'm, I'm asking a God who cares about me. I'm asking a God, this is light work for the God that I'm talking to. This, this is something that God could do in a moment. I'm asking and I'm believing that God is gonna move. I'm believing. That's what James is urging us to do. Verse nine, believers in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. 
For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way. The rich will fade away even when they go about their business. This is what James is saying. He is, he's transitioning now in this letter to warn us as followers of Jesus about one of the biggest pitfalls to running the race that God has set before us, and it is the pitfall of money. He's doing this because he's following the example of his brother Jesus. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the Bible. James is now continuing to talk about money. He is saying that the wealthy should watch out. Now, I have seen this passage preached wrong so many times because what you have to understand is it's not just the wealthy who need to watch out for money. In fact, a lot of times it is people who have no money who care about money the most. And a lot of times there are people with a ton of money who don't care about money at all. Simply what he is saying is if you put your trust in money, it's going to fade away. He's saying it's just like the wildflower. It will be burned out by the sun by tomorrow, if not by the end of today. That's what he's saying. And so the problem is not having money. The problem is when money has you. It's, it's, whenever, it's whenever something that is temporary, we begin to believe is eternal. So what are some temporary things that we should make sure in 2024 we are not letting be idols in our life? Number one, money. Got to make sure that money is not on the throne of our heart because our money is not going with us into heaven. There is no chase bank transfer into the kingdom of God when you die. Something that uh, Maddie and I feel really personally convicted about is we want to make sure that when we get to the end of our life, we're not like going to be with God with a bunch of money in our bank account. We're going to get to the end of our life and we want it all to be sown into kingdom purposes that are going to last longer than us. Something that we're praying about even right now is like, how are we going to invest our money in 2024 into the kingdom of God? We, we give, full disclosure, we, we give every single month. We tithe. We, we actually just started giving above our tithe for the first month. And I don't say that to, to brag. I'm just trying to be transparent with you that like we've seen God be faithful in our finances and we're finally at the point where it's exciting for us to give. And if that's not a part of your story, I'd love to echo what Matt and Kylie said earlier. Make it, make it a challenge in your life to, to do that. But this is just a way for us to go, you know what, I wanna make sure that I'm building the kingdom of God, not just with my time, not just with my efforts, but even with my money. I want my money to go on mission because it's not gonna go with me into heaven. Another thing that's not gonna go with us into heaven is our physical health. Our body's a temple, we should take care of it. We should, we should do the best that we can to take care of it. Uh, the Bible is actually very clear on that. But if we find our value in how we look, that's not going to last long-term either. Lastly, what's not going to last? Fame. Fame's not going to last. Nobody's going to ask us to take selfies in, in heaven. We're going to be a little preoccupied with other people that are there. And so we just need to check ourselves because these are pitfalls. Wealth, fame, accolades, accomplishments. These are the pit, pitfalls that will stop us from finishing our race well. What is going to last? God's going to last. His kingdom's going to last. His word's going to last. And who you are becoming is going to last. I want to close today by um, just sharing with you what happened to me when I read James chapter 1 last week for the first time in preparation for this sermon. I was, uh, was at my in-law's house, and um, I'm s sitting on the couch early in the morning. I'm reading it, and I felt really good. Uh, when I started reading it, just had my first cup of coffee sitting there. My in-laws had this beautiful um, view of this little lake behind their house. 
It felt amazing. By the time I got to verse 11, I felt like a punching bag. I mean, I went verse by verse and I was like, well, but failed at that in 2023. Didn't have joy during the trials in 2023. I was like, man, there were a lot of things that I found my value in that I shouldn't have found my value in in 2023. I mean, I just was going verse by verse and I was like, I mean, I tried to get up from the couch about fell. I was like, it's brutal. Maybe you're here and and we just went through this passage of scripture and you feel the same way. You're like, man, I, I didn't really, I didn't really live 2023 well. I, I talked a lot more than I walked in 2023. Made a lot of mistakes in 2023. Had a lot of failures. I didn't persevere well in 2023. God does not waste anything. And God doesn't want to waste your 2023. This is what I felt the Holy Spirit remind me of last week as I was walking through this my own ways. Reminded me of the story of Peter. I've talked about Peter a lot at Way Church the first couple months. Peter was the man who denied Jesus three times. Denied Jesus three times. Horrible. I mean, this is like one of the most embarrassing public humiliations. We now get to read about Peter's humiliation anytime we want. We can just pick it up and read about his failure. But if you fast forward a couple months after Peter failed publicly, Peter actually was the one that God used to preach on the day of Pentecost, which was the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the church. It was the day that thousands of believers, thousands of people converted to Christianity and became believers. And I was thinking, man, how awesome is it that God would choose a failure like that to do something like that? How amazing is it? And then, and then this, this was the word that I just wanna encourage you with that, that the Holy Spirit gave me. It's that God used the one who had just experienced forgiveness to be able to preach about forgiveness to all those people on the day of Pentecost. God wants to use what you had to experience in 2023. God wants to use the failures, the mistakes for his glory in 2024. Your pain, your mistakes, your struggle in 2023 has a purpose when submitted to Jesus Christ.